Romans chapter 5, please. The epistle to the church in Rome. And uh, I think Neil was preaching last week. This is where we pick up. It begins with, therefore, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. It's a little bit like um, the, a chain interlinks and or one section of Romans is kind of built on the next, uh, like uh, Duplo bricks. And if you take one out, the one above it will fall down because its support isn't there. That The argument that Paul is writing, not the argument, the truth that he's declaring is so profound. He, and therefore, it reminds us that what he's saying has a, a, an inherent connection with what has gone on before. So, therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we also be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you get it? Romans is one of those um, wonderful little books, letters, that is just really, really profound. It's got big words, big concepts, but we do well to hear. Um, a nice pretty flower. Oh, I plucked it. It's going to die now. Um, <laughs> it's going to die anyway, but uh, it's the nature of flowers. It's autumn, isn't it? Um, do you remember seeing um, recently, when was the last time you, you, you played this game or saw someone play it? You know what I'm going to do? Well, I couldn't find a daisy, so uh, it had to be this. Loves me, loves me not. What's it do? Well, who plays this sort of game? Oh, there's quite a few pulled out there. Um, it's like a wedding in here now, isn't it? Uh, who plays this game? Sad children. Girls in particular, I have noticed. Um, my vast experience of playground games. But um, do you know what? I've, I sometimes think in this who loves me, he loves me not game. Is sometimes Christians play this with God. They don't sit with a flower. 
But some days, he doesn't love me. Some days, he loves me. Oh, he doesn't love me today. I've let him down. Oh, I've been to church today. He loves me. One of the things Paul is really wanting to drive home is how profound and certain God's love is. God isn't fickle. God isn't changeable. God isn't kind of caught up in this kind of great game of he loves me, he loves me not. We do that. But we do that because we haven't got what Paul is really trying to emphasize. Let me read to you two verses from the passage that we've just read. Romans 5.5 and 5.8. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no sense of changeability, of fickleness, of here today, gone tomorrow, of, of circumstantial changing. He loves us. He loves us. While we were still sinners, while we were far away, while we were not even a good person, you know, he says, well, a good person, someone might die. Don't fool ourselves. We were not that at all. Yet, he chose to express his love for us in rescuing us, in reconciling us, in justifying us, in bringing us peace. What the game we should play if I brought you all a flower from Phil and Hermie's garden? They've gone on holidays, so they'll never know. <laughs> Pick one on your way out, play this game. I give you permission to raid the church garden. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. He loves me. And keep saying it until it sinks in. You know, we preach this in evangelistic sermons and, and in Alpha we stress it rightly so. He loves you. He loves me. He loves you. He loves me. But so often as Christians we kind of, we think, well, that was the case in rescuing us. But now I'm a Christian, I should know better. He loves me. He loves me. Go to Tesco. Buy a bouquet of flowers and shred it. Not so much in Tesco. <laughs> but he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. See, the interesting thing... So again... Yeah, okay. That, yeah. But if they ask what you're doing, sir, you could say, well, do you know God loves you? <laughs> the interesting thing about Paul's letter to the Romans so, uh, so far is, in chapter 5, he introduces the concept of love. He's, he's talked a lot so far about God's purposes and plans, his greatness, God's wrath, our sin, wisdom and foolishness, faithfulness and righteousness. And he's kind of like charting so much in order that we begin to understand how broad and how vast this word love is. It's not just a simple phrase. He loves you. 
Not with a playground love, but a love that stretches and spans time. And he points in this letter, and in this passage particularly, using these words like justification, using these words like, um, uh, like making peace, uh, using these words like justified, reminding us that this happens at the cross. A phrase I love, the cross is humanity at its worst and God at his best. Love. Love is bloody Calvary. Love is unconditional gift. Love is charted through these kind of complex chapters, but brought home to us, saying he loves us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Paul has set out so completely. On the one hand, the gospel is good news because it shows the sinfulness and the wretchedness and the depravity and the hopelessness of humanity with all its idolatry and with all its immorality and with all its rejection and with all its rebellion against God. We suck. Coupled with God's definite decision to embrace us. And in that mix... To embrace such ugliness, we begin to fathom his love. Paul uses this Christian word that we, we've adopted. We use agape. Agape, it's, it's a word that he chooses, a word that isn't really used much in that time. Other words were eros, kind of sexual love, philia, friendship love. Adelphi, kind of to do with um, brotherly love. But this word, agape, agape kind of carries with it something more intense than the others. But it also speaks of closeness. You can't agape from a distance. You can't love from a distance, says Paul. When God says, when Paul writes, God demonstrates his own agape, his love for us in this. He said he doesn't just write it on the wall for us to see, but enters into the fray. He gets close, up front, personal. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love, his love that becomes close and near at hand. Malcolm Muggeridge, I came across this account. Malcolm Muggeridge was a, a TV broadcaster. Some of the older ones here remember him. Is that right? Commentator and writer. Um, he became a Christian. But he went to Calcutta and he made a documentary about Mother Teresa. And um, on that morning of meeting, it was a meeting that changed the rest of his life. He met Mother Teresa as a kind of cynical hack, a journalist, worldwide, you know, kind of knowing it all. And he met her on the streets with the sick and poor people in the slums. And he'd never seen anything like it before. Amid the stench and the filth and the garbage and the disease and the poverty and the dying, 
He said it was just unbelievable. But what struck him more than anything else, even in the midst of this awful squalor and his poverty in its extreme was a deep warm glow on Mother Teresa's face and a deep warm love in her eyes. He said to her, do you do this every day? Oh yes, she replied. It's my mission, it's how I serve and love my Lord. How long have you been doing this? How many months? Months, said Mother Teresa. Not months, but years, maybe 18. 18 years, exclaimed Muggeridge. You've been working here in these streets for 18 years. Yes, she said simply, and yet joyfully, it's my privilege to be here. These are my people. These are the ones my Lord has given me to love. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever feel like quitting and let someone else take over your ministry? After all, you're beginning to get older. Oh no, she replied. This is where the Lord wants me and this is where I'm happy to be. I feel young when I'm here. The Lord is so good to me. How privileged I am to serve him. Later, he said, I will never forget that little lady as long as I live. The face, the glow, the eyes, the love. It was all so pure and so beautiful. I shall never forget it. It was like being in the presence of an angel. It changed my life. I'm not the same person since. It's more than I can describe. She went on for over 27 more years. That's agape love. In the midst, in close proximity, with an intensity. This is the love that Paul speaks of. And says, brother, sister, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. With intense closeness. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is, is using two phrases, and I, I'm thinking a little bit more about this at the moment. Sorry if they get technical. Do you know the difference between the words objective and subjective? Maybe. I'm not going to put you on the spot. You look, some of you aren't nodding because you think if I nod, I might pick on you. I won't. Objective is something that uh, is, we use it to say there's an object. We can observe it. It's it's kind of um, measurable and, uh, and definite. You know, we talk about an object in a room. Objective means it's there, quantifiable. Subjective uh, means that it's, it's less so. It's something more of, of how one perceives and how one is responding to. It's, it's not as measurable. It's to do with, with me. Do you get the difference? And Paul speaks of, of our knowledge of the love of God in a both objective and a subjective way. In this same passage, he says in um, 5.8, 5, um, he says, uh, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Objectively, he's saying that love isn't just a vain idea or a nice thought, but is this tangible, historical, active, divine love manifested in the man Jesus Christ in his life lived and laid down and nailed to the cross in Jerusalem. God doesn't shout it out from the sidelines, but he shows it. It's objective. 
You can look in the history books and the parchments. You can look in the the commentaries of the day. Jesus Christ, well, Jesus of Nazareth amongst us, crucified under Pontius Pilate, not just asserted by the Christians, but by the Romans and the Jews. It happened. Objective. It's shown. We're able to stand by it. It's firm and fixed and established. Established, And for the Christian who believes in resurrection, that the cross that we, will, we, will, we, we, we talk about and show and exemplify and recognize in broken bread and, and wine, the cross is this monument to the power of God's love. This objective intervention, that's a big word, this objective kind of moment when God intervenes. says, I love you, this world. When you're hating and when we're hurting, I love you. When we refuse and revile him, I love you. He loves us when we are far off. Such hope. Love established, says Paul. This objective love secures for us what? 5-1. It achieves for us um, peace with God. 5-2. Um, we, uh, we have access to God. 5.9, we are justified. In other, in other words, we are declared righteous and without sin. In 5.9, that we are saved from the wrath of God. 5.10, we are reconciled, made one, no longer separate or hostile or divided from, but reconciled, made one with him. Wow. See, without the cross, those things that we spoke of, peace, access, justification, salvation, reconciliation, are still, without the cross, without his love, we would still be enemies of God, excluded from God, condemned by God, under God's wrath, cut off from God. Thanks be to Jesus. It's objective. The world can view the cross. It can scorn and ridicule and mock. He writes to the church in Corinth, it's foolishness. It's madness. It's a stumbling block. Yet, it's there. What do you make of it? For the skeptic, an anathema. For the believer, the objective cross. Wow. While we were still sinners. While we were still far off, God demonstrates his close, agape, powerful, rescuing love for us. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. But not only that, he he gives us another reference in 5.5. And and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love, same word, agape, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. That's the subjective side of the love of God. Objectively, Christ come amongst us, crucified, plain for all to see, subjective. He pours out his Holy Spirit into us so we can know this love. The cross and God's love is not just a relic of the past to be observed down the telescope of history. I love you, we see at the cross. I 
And he says, I love you as he gives us himself. The Holy Spirit poured into our hearts that we experience God's love. This lavish, poured out, abundant, extravagant deluge of God's love. You know, uh, we take little cups because we don't want to contaminate each other. It's part of the reason. Really, we should have a great big bucket. And we should pour it out. His love lavished upon us. We should get a big flagon each and dunk it in the bucket. The big baptistry bath. And have a right old knees up. With Beaujolais Nouveau or whatever we want to throw in there. That's the imagery. Came across... This great little saying. You know when the dentist says you won't feel this? Don't believe it. You know, and some Christians say about God's love, you won't feel it. You just have to know it. Don't believe it. Love is an event, the objective. But it's also, it's also an experience. Yes, sometimes we, we feel it massively. Sometimes we don't. We're not into the he loves me, he loves me not. I don't feel his love today, he loves me not. Because the cross is the cross. It happened once and for all. But he pours out his love to us again and again and again. What did Paul write to the church in the region of Ephesus? He says, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp, listen to this, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Yes, and to know this love, objective, that surpasses knowledge, subjective, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God gives himself, pours himself into us. The lover, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Three times in chapter five in these verses, we're we're told about his free gift that he's given. He has given. Now, if I asked you, what did you get for Christmas? What would you say? You've forgotten now, haven't you? You might have not liked it and thrown it away. I hope not. But think of the best gift you got at Christmas. Maybe that pullover that you're looking forward to wearing in the winter months, or those nice socks, or... Joking. When I ask you, have you got that gift? You're not going to say, well, not yet. Or it's coming. Because gifts are given, aren't they? The gift was given to you on Christmas. You opened it. You received it. The Paul, he's reminding us in, the, in this moment that the gift that God has given, the Holy Spirit, has been given. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given. 
not to say that we can't ask for more. Not to say that there isn't more of God to experience and know. Of course there is. But we aren't left hanging in trepidation saying, oh, if only we could know something of God's love. Yes, we can now. He's done it. He pours his spirit into our life. He loves me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you today. He loves you when you're faithless. He loves you when you're strong. He loves you when you get up and have a quiet time. He loves you when you're too busy and you get grumpy with your kids. He loves you when you get road rage. He loves you when you deny him. While you're still sinners, still far off, Christ died for us. Can we worship for a moment? I know you've been worshipping as I've spoken. Can we sing um, One Thing Remains again, please? 